want an atomic pepper, Mr. Manolino? Nah. You guys go ahead. Huh? I'll do it if you will, Lloyd. Okay. <laughs> you go first. No, uh-uh, no. You go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go, you go first. Go, I always go oh, first. Oh, yeah. Why I always don't never go you guys both stop acting like a couple of pussies and go at the same time, huh? That sounds like a dare, Harry. It's a double dare. Yeah, okay. You're on. Hmm. It's not so bad. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's more tingly than hot. Yeah. <laughs> 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 y'all this is andrew from bowling green kentucky rock band kiss kiss bang you're listening to the hook rocks with jay scott Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying healthy. Hope you're enjoying the springtime weather. I know the weather outside here in Chicago is great. It's about 65, 64. It's sunny out. There's no clouds in the sky. It's actually kind of a perfect day, and hopefully we have more of those in the near future and the long future, and hopefully... As far as staying safe and staying healthy, hopefully we can get back to some normalcy here sooner than later. Going to some rock shows, some concerts, some sporting events, whatever it is you do to occupy your time. Hopefully, you know, we're climbing out of the woods. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I know some numbers are spiking in certain areas, but as I say at the beginning of every show, I think we're on the road to where we want to be. It's just going to take a little bit longer to get there and before you know it we'll be doing the things that we love to do and what we love to do is talk music and offer a moment in your day or during your week where you can kind of just listen to some talk about music whether it's commentary or interviews listening to new bands talking about new bands and we have that for you today I'd like to welcome in from California Jordan Griffin from them evils what's going on man how are you 
Oh, I'm great, man. Just, you know, like I said before, just hanging out in bed with my dog. It's a nice sunny day out. Got the sun coming through my blinds and uh, watching TV, sipping on some coffee. There you go, man. There you go. I, I, uh, I complain. Yeah. You know, I mean, in this day and age with what everything is going on, it's really hard to find things to complain about, you know? I agree. I mean, there's not much to complain about aside from not being able to go to shows and play shows, but everything else is just fine and dandy. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to get into all that. There's a lot to talk about. But first, we always begin the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the hook, on the Hook Rocks, and that is the whole essence of the show. The whole purpose of the show is just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance, that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it for you? Um, it was Master of Puppets by Metallica. Well, that's a defining record. I mean, what was it about the album? I mean, was it the, you know, the music, the album cover? What was it for you? Um, well, I was a kid. I was about 14. My uncle showed up to my birthday party. and He goes, this is the album, you know, this is the one. I popped it in, and it was just so heavy. You know, it started out with battery, that little acoustic guitar. And I was like, what the hell is this? And then the riff came in, and I was just, I was, I was hooked. And the Master Puppets came on. You know, they had the perfect, you know, heavy metalness mixed with these weird, um, you know, like major guitar acoustic chord progressions. And I was like, what's going on here? It sounds like Christmas music meets, you know, meets heavy metal. And I was, I was just hooked. The riffs were badass. Jim Tatfield, you know, the way he sung, the what he sung about was so evil and just killer and it caught my ear. And then Kurt Hammett's guitar solos were just out of this world. And I was hooked instantly. And, you know, Metallic still to this day is one of my favorite bands and, in my opinion, one of the best bands to ever, you know, play music and heavy metal. And they play live and their shows are just fucking amazing and they always kill it. There are two bands in my life that gave me a holy shit moment. And the first time I was eight years old, 1980, no, probably younger than that. I was probably seven, 1982. And I was home from school, and I snuck the Van Halen vinyl from my brother's room, and I put it on with headphones, and I was like, holy shit, like, what is that? What is going on with this, you know? And... Probably about five years later, four years later, we had a radio station in Chicago called WVVX. And I, I liked, you know, the, all the hard rock, you know, whether it was, you know, Motley Crue or Van Halen or all that stuff. And they came on the air one night and because it only they only were on the air from 7 p.m. to midnight because of this because the signal wasn't that strong. And all I did was play hard rock and heavy metal. And they started the show with Master of Puppets. And I was never exposed to anything like that prior, you know, that, you know, the thrash metal and everything. And I remember just staring at my stereo, trying to figure out, going, holy shit, what is this? Like, this is something I've never experienced before. So, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty powerful album. And it's a pretty, you know, when you talk about influence, I mean, obviously Ride the Lightning and Kill Them All, but Master of Puppets was really what propelled them into at least the mainstream of youth 
and listening to, to, to rock music and metal when you're young and a kid. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree. You know, kill them all, you know, just slaps you in the face, ride the lightning, you know, kicks you in the balls and master puppets just comes in and just fucking hits you with a, you know, semi truck. Um, everything about that album, you know, it's flawless. Every note is perfect. Everything was so well thought out and the production was just, you know, it was absolutely amazing. It's just an impeccable album. There's nothing, nothing can beat that album, I don't think. I don't think that there, I don't think Metallica has been able to touch that ever since. It's so, it's almost perfect, right? I mean, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty close to perfect. There's, I mean, there's really nothing that, you know, that you would, do anything different or, or anything like that. I mean, when you listen to that music and you listen to that album today, and gosh, it's what, 30 years later, it still sounds absolutely phenomenal. It's just incredible. Yeah, there's metal albums that are that are coming out today that don't even touch the production, you know? Right. right. Or, even, or even songwriting, you know, everything. Like I said, it's just, it's one of those albums that will stand the test of time and people and kids, and anyone who loves heavy metal music or just music in general will listen to that album in a hundred years and go, what the fuck were these guys doing? How did that, how the hell did they do this? You know, where did it go from there for you? I mean, you heard the album, you got hooked on it and then, you know, playing an instrument, playing guitar. How did your evolution occur? Where did it keep going for you? Well, I first started off on drums and then I moved to bass. Um, and then I started playing guitar. Um, and then I just, I, I kind of just stuck with guitar. You know, the band started. Um, we, Jake and I moved out to LA and, or Orange County. And we couldn't find a singer. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to have to do this. You know, I just kind of manned up. You know, James Hetfield's one of my heroes. I was like, you know, James Hetfield plays guitar and sings. So, why, why not me? So I started singing. Uh, we couldn't find a lead guitar player, so I was like, you know what? I guess I'll just start doing the lead guitar too. So that's how I just, you know, stuck with with it all. We couldn't find anyone that I really enjoyed or who I wanted to be in the band that would, you know, was loyal or had the work ethic or the skill to do what I wanted. So I just kind of, you know, took it upon myself and just did the filled the roles. Why do you think that is? I mean, I've heard this from other bands too when they're looking for a band member, you know, a, a, someone to play drums or guitar or whatever it is, and it's difficult to find. Why do you think that is? Is it because, you know, influences are different? Is it because, you know, work ethic? Is, is do, I mean, what what did you experience? Um, It was pretty horrible, actually. You know, we would... We would try out Craigslist drummers. We did it for a year. Um, that was when we moved to California. Even in Vegas, though, we had a singer. He was, you know, he was all right. He wasn't really our cup of tea, but we worked with him because that's all we had at the moment. We had a really, really badass drummer. Um, his name was Dee's in Vegas. He just didn't want to make the move to California. Um, and Jake and I were just kind of over everything, so we moved, we moved out here, and then it you know, took us about a year to find everyone and it took us about two years to just get the whole band rolling. You know, a lot of people think that 
being in a band, you know, you just get in the garage, you write some songs and you go on tour. It's not like that at all. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of business. And I think music is kind of secondary, which is unfortunate. But, you know, that's showbiz, baby. That's the industry. When you picked up the guitar, what? who are some of your influences? Oh, Dimebag, Kurt Hammett, James Hetfield, um, Jerry Kentrell, Allison James, um, all the grunge stuff, a lot of the heavy metal stuff, Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, definitely, Stevie Ray Vaughan. You know, there's there's millions of them. Jimi Hendrix, holy shit. Yeah, there's so many. When you, you know, you heard Metallica, you started playing instruments, was there a moment when, you know, you decided that you wanted to be in a band and, you know, you know, play music for people? Yeah, I was actually five years old when that, when that happened. Um, I was living in Ohio and my mom took me to a Green Day concert and I saw Billy Joe Armstrong fit a loogie into the air and catch it back into his mouth. And I was, I was sold. I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to go on stage. I want to get drunk and I want to fucking inspire people with rock and roll. And sometimes I'm going to spit loogies in there and catch them in my mouth and just do dumb shit. And ever since that moment, I was, I was sold. That's a, that's a unique moment, you know? Um, yeah. Well, the band is Them Evils and you've got the new song out right now called Pour Out Another One which is kind of a song about what's going on right now and what's happening in the world, what's happening in the music business, how it's all been affected and how people are stressing out and how, you know, the unknown is so prevalent in a lot of musicians' lives and a lot of rock fans' lives because we don't know where we're going to go and see rock shows, if we're gonna, if it's going to happen this year. I know there's stuff that's popping up, but... You know, you don't know if it's safe to do that. You don't know if it's going to last or get postponed again. And you guys decided to write a song about just having a good time, even though times are rough. Yeah, I mean, that song was actually written before this whole pandemic thing went down. Um, but it just somehow fit as long or along with where you're going to crash tonight. You know, it was about just kind of drinking your sorrows away and you know, having having kind of like that party anthem that everyone needs. Um, but yeah, pour out another one is kind of more about, you know, going to the West Coast and figuring your shit out and just drinking and partying along the way. You know, pour out another one. It's like, you know, fuck it. I'm here for a good time and a long time, so let's do it. Well, it's an interesting, you know, song. and And it's about, you know, and the way you guys have kind of marketed it is kind of about having a good time still and kind of still reinforcing that and, you know, moving forward with your everyone's lives and, and you know, the backstory behind it. In this time and, in time and place right now that we're in and with all the things that are affecting music and musicians and bands, how have you guys been able to maintain what it is you guys do and keep looking forward, you know, to the new music that you guys are putting, are going to be putting out or to touring again? Um, that's a good question. You know, we just, we just have hope still, you know, we're just, we know it's going to come back. We know there's going to be shows again. Um, it wasn't like an end to all. 
Um, you know, we're, we're in the process of, you know, booking shows right now. So we know it's going to come back. You know, people are so hungry. People want to hear music again. People want to go to live shows. People want to buy music. Um, you know, and it's in our blood. This is what, you know, that's as cheesy as and cliche as that sounds. But this is what we're, you know, we're meant to do. This is what we want to do. We love this so much. Um, and if we're not allowed to do it, we're still going to do it, no matter what. As far as creating music during the last year and writing music and, and kind of living under this who knows type of mentality and the unknown, how are you guys able to maintain your creative process and how are you able to still create music? Um, that's, that's also a good question. I, I, everything starts with a riff. I, I, I like to just sit in my, in my little studio at home, you know, open the blinds, light an inset, drink some coffee and just come up with the riffs. And I mean, I don't know necessarily where the inspiration comes from maybe listening to other people's music or, you know, hearing good riffs. Um, even just the whole 2020 thing, that's, that was, you know, good inspiration. That was a lot of bullshit. There's nothing really to do aside from play guitar, listen to music and, you know, drink beers with your buddies. So I think that was a lot of, you know, a lot of inspiration and a lot of where the riffs came from and some of the new songs. As far as writing goes, too, with everything that's happening, you know, whether it is COVID, whether it was the, you know, the protests in the summer of last year, the toxic election that occurred, do you find that music that you were writing during these times affected your writing, affected the tone of music? Um, I wouldn't say it affected. We, you know, we've always been just a rock band, and we've always kind of, we're always trying to put out the next best thing or, you know, trying to beat the song before that we've released. You know, it's progressed, but that's, you know, I think the songwriting, you know, it's always affected by your last song and, or always what you're going through, but it, it didn't change really who we are as a band. Um, didn't really change the, you know, our outlook on what we write about. It's always about drinking, partying, you know, women, going on tour and getting drunk with your boys and fucking playing in front of people. And once that happens again, you know, I'll just keep writing about it. Have you guys made enough you know, material? I know you released a couple other singles during the pandemic. Have you been able to write more material for any upcoming album or anything like that? Yeah. So we're not doing albums, but we are writing a lot. Um, we are, are always coming up with new material. Uh, we have a few songs right now that we kind of recorded the, um, like, you know, the structures for, we did the guitar, the bass, the drums, um, some scratch vocals. Um, and we just got to finish those up here in the next few weeks and it should be good. And we have a whole library of songs that we've done. Um, some of them aren't good enough to release. Some of them we got to revisit and re-record. But since we, we were on a record label and we, we've written an album, we recorded an album. Um, we have those songs as well. We have about 40 to 50 songs sitting in our library that we could release, but we're just kind of picking the best ones. When you think about right now with rock music and rock and roll and the, the common theme is everyone's talking about 
Rock being dead and fighting against that idea. And we all know that Rock is never going to die. It's always going to be here. When you hear that stuff and you've experienced COVID and, you know, kind of the slowdown in music and how it affected people, where, where are your thoughts? I mean, I think 2021, when you look at the landscape and all the music that's coming out and how popular it seems to be growing, especially with the younger kids, I think it's poised for a, a giant comeback, a giant leap from where it was prior to the pandemic. What are your thoughts and, and how do you feel about that? Oh, I, I strongly disagree. <clears throat> you know, there's some of the best rock bands that are coming out right now, like Royal Blood, Rival Sun, um, Them Evils. Um, <laughs> um, there's just so many. Like, I was listening to a playlist the other day, and it was just called New Rock. And I was hearing some of these bands and some of these songs. I was like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? Where? Why haven't I heard this music? And that just goes to show that you know, rock music isn't dead. People still love it. People are really good at it. People are still creating it. And it's just not in the mainstream. That's the only thing. It's not cool to listen to rock and roll. You have to enjoy rock and roll thoroughly to even go out and look for it, which is unfortunate because, you know, it's all about this, you know, the rap in the country, which I don't dislike. Um, I think rock and roll is way better. And, you know, it's just, an elite genre of music and it's more honest than anything else. There's no bullshit, but you know, like I said, it's, it's not cool. It's not what the kids are being. It's not what's being pushed down the kids throats anymore. When you think about, you know what you just said, and I agree with you. I think there's so many new great bands that are out there. And I think 2021, there's going to be so much music that you're not going to be able to get away with it. It's just going to be, or get, a, get away from it. I should say it's almost like, you know, the resurgence is happening before our eyes and, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be celebrated once again. You also hear, you know, the Grammys, which going back to the, you know, to the point of rock being mainstream, rock should never be mainstream. It should always be outside the mainstream and should always be the middle finger to the other genres. That's what's always made rock and hard rock and metal what it is. But, yeah. you know, when, when the Grammys award the Strokes the best rock, you know, performance, and during their press conference, the Strokes say that blues rock is done, it's boring, it's dead, we don't need that anymore. It's almost like you, you, you feel, or at least I do, that maybe the reason why rock music is not where it needs to be is because people are trying to redefine it and trying to make it be something that it's not and telling you what rock is instead of allowing rock to be celebrated for why it's always been great and awesome. Yeah, I've never heard that um, the Strokes say that. It was probably Julian Casablanca, so fuck that guy. Um, (laughs) It was. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's a fucking idiot, first off. Um, Blues rock is badass. You know, maybe necessarily it doesn't need to be heard anymore, but it does. I mean, it's the be- it's literally some of the best and most honest music out there. You know, all the guitar riffs and all the great solos that you've heard come from blues rock. Um, I think that's just a really ignorant thing to say um, on his part. Um, you know, everything derives from blues rock. 
every scale you hear, every Metallica song, every Metallica solo, you know, is based in the blues scale and all those blues notes. Um, every, you know, Man in the Box, one of the best songs ever written on radio, is a fucking blues song. It's just turned up and cranked up with distortion and a more modern 90s melody. You know, Royal Blood, their shit is blues rock. Gary Clark Jr., he's one of the biggest fucking rock stars on this planet right now. And guess what? It's blues rock. Guns N' Roses, blues rock. Just sped up, and they talk about shooting heroin and snorting coke. Yeah, I, I found that to be a very alarming when, you know, you're you're basically up there, and you're basically telling every artist that came before you, you know, whether it's the Stones and Zeppelin or, even, you know, like you said, Guns N' Roses and so many others that, you know, blues rock is done. It doesn't need to be played anymore. We're done with it. And I think back to other comments made by other artists where rock and roll isn't innovative. It's not progressing. And I disagree because when they talk about innovation, are they talking about using sampled tracks? Are they talking about, you know, using all this technical and and, and software to make you sound like you really aren't sounding? If, if, is that evolving? Is that what they mean by evolving? Because if that's what it is, then that's not rock and roll. Rock and roll is the rawness. It's the feel. It's the vibe. It's the way it makes the audience, you know, feel and the synergy that a band has when they're on stage. You know, and I look at the strokes, and, and I usually don't, I don't usually, you know, talk bad about artists and everything, but... You know, I look at them and I hear their music, and to me, it's more like 80s new wave than it is rock and roll. So, again, we go back to that, who's defining this as rock music? Because I don't define it as rock music. Yeah, I mean, I love the Strokes, don't get me wrong. They're, you know, some of the best in their genre. But when it comes to evolving, you know, music, you know, tools are made to make human lives easier. You know, that's what we're doing with tools, we're just fucking making it easier on ourselves and more convenient. But in the case of rock and roll, I think it's bullshit because like you said, it should be plug in and play. It should be honest. Like ACDC, they didn't fucking tune their shit on highway to hell. I mean, they might have like with some record tricks, you know, when they spin it up or speed it up so that, you know, the note goes higher or slow it down. So the note goes lower. That's just some tricks that they used back in the day. But, Bon Scott and Angus Young, those dudes practice so much that they nailed their takes. We don't do that anymore, you know? Like, we just go in, we sing a track, and they're like, oh, I'll just move that in auto-tune. And I'm like, well, how about I just fucking sing it like a man and like Bon Scott did, and we fucking record it and keep that? Because I like when shit is ugly. I like the feel. I like I like the, the Greeks when, when they're so floppy in the solo or like a note you weren't supposed to hit or like an off note. And it just makes, you know, it makes it more honest and rock and roll. You know, everything is perfect nowadays and kind of, kind of lame to me. Well, that is an interesting take because I, I tend to agree with that. I like it when I hear the room in a recording, right? I don't like when something's overproduced. I like when I hear the air and, you know, the way a room sounds, whether it's on, you know, the drums or the way the tone is on the guitar. And I think for, especially, gosh, maybe 10 years ago and even before that, there seemed to be this 
movement towards overproducing things and making sound think, things sound very compressed and and I think it loses its it, a song loses its way when it's like that because it doesn't have any room to go anywhere where if you listen to the Zeppelin songs and Guns and Roses and Metallica's there you can feel where they're recording you can feel what they were trying to do and they were they had that rawness and that sloppiness in it you know, when you talk about, you know, you talk about sloppiness, there's a, there's a couple mistakes that Eddie Van Halen made in eruption, but they left it in there, you know, because, yeah, because it's on it, it's badass. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you see, you know, 30 writers on a song and 30 producers on a song, it's like, what the hell is this? Like what, you know, I don't want to, I don't even want to listen to it just based on that. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want something to come from a, from a, uh, you know, an imitation is something that's not real. I want it to be organic and authentic because that's what resonates with, with kids. It's what resonates with rock fans. I couldn't agree with you more, man. You know, a lot of bands write with one or two writers, which is cool. You know, I think it should be done because it gets the band outside the box. We even do it ourselves in a lot of badass rock bands that you see throughout the history of rock and roll, like Aerosmith, you know, they write with a lot of people. But yeah, when you're getting 30 people on a song, change a word, uh, it's just like, dude, what what are you doing? It's, it's not rocket science. It just writes a damn song. If it's good, it's good. Make it good. If it's not, you know, don't release it. Or maybe someone won't like it and put it on the fucking B side of the album. You know, you don't, there's no reason to have 30 people, 20 people on a goddamn track. What, like, what? I, I just don't get it. It just seems like a clusterfuck to me. When you think about the music that you've been writing under, you know, during the pandemic and you have this single that just came out, was there a conscious effort for you and the band to write more songs that are about having a good time and that are about, you know, connecting with what we lost for a year? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, people want to hear that. People want to hear the, the good time song. You know, people. I think there's enough songs out there that are you know poor me I want to kill myself you know they talk about love and all that shit so we're trying to think about you know let's you know let's get together have a good time let's have some drinks you know let's fuck you know sex drugs rock and roll let's let's do the thing let's have a good time you know upbeat tempo killer guitar solos distortion you know just make the sound even production wise you know make it uppy make it happy um, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with our, our newer tunes. And, you know, it's also, you know, the, the new single, you know, Par Out Another One, has also been, you know, labeled as an anthem. And it very well is, you know, a song that people can resonate with and connect with during this time. And you met, you mentioned that it was written prior to the pandemic was this a song that maybe you guys weren't going to release but because of the times and what's going on you decided to move forward with it are you talking about where you're going to crash or pour out i'm talking about pour out another one um no we just kind of we knew it was a good song and it just happened to you know fit in the time and with everything that's going on we were going to release it regardless but, you know, it just kind of, it was just one of those things where you roll the dice and you, you get snake eyes. But in this case, it just, you know, it just worked out really well for the time. 
With the last three songs that you guys have done, you know, also including Coattails and Where Are You Gonna Crash Tonight, how do you feel that you guys have grown as a band? Um, I think our songwriting has gotten a lot better. Uh, we used to, you know, just kind of focus on being a classic rock band and classic rock inspired. But we're doing, we're definitely going with the more modern approach. We're listening to a lot of newer bands and the, the rock industry you know, it was evolving like it always has. Um, certain things catch people's ear these days and certain things um, are being put on the radio that the record labels are pushing because they think it sounds, you know, good. And we just kind of catch, you know, pick up on those little nuances in music and we kind of try to add that to our own um, because so many things have been done in rock that you need to make it, you know, a little bit more spicy. And you need to, you know, up your production value a little bit, but still keep it greasy, you know, um, not perfect. But I think as a band, we've just gotten good at that or are getting better. Was it a focus to work on or is it just something that as you guys keep playing and keep making music, it just evolves authentically and organically? I think it's both. We definitely are very conscious of sounding newer and modern and you know on top of the game and kind of trying to do stuff that hasn't been done um from ourselves and other bands um but also it's you know it's subconscious it's like when you're in a band you're writing songs and you know you you just evolve and you get better and you don't even realize and one day you just release a banger and you're like holy shit you know and then you realize that's from just years of touring and writing songs together when you are, you know, going in and trying to evolve as artists, what what do you do or how do you, I mean, obviously listening to new music and, you know, trying different things, but it's got to be, you, know, you guys are still young, so you guys are still, in, uh, you know, evolving with your taste and where how you guys play. Um, when When you do hear something that's different and maybe it doesn't fit what the band is about, how do you try to incorporate it with your sound? Um, it's just one of those things, you know, it's just the dynamic you add to your band. You get in the band room and you work it out. If it doesn't work out, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> if it doesn't work out, you know, you move on, you take that idea and you put it in another song. When you guys are all kind of developing, you guys all come from the same place in terms of influences. I mean, do you guys all kind of bring that that element to the to the table? Yeah, we've always been into hard rock, no matter what. Um, you know, we all love Metallica, Megadeth, Awesome Chains, the '90s stuff, Nirvana, um, Royal Blood, Motorhead, of course, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, so I would say our influences are all very, very similar. There's a few bands, you know, that I like personally that Jake likes or David likes. David's a big Faith No More guy. Um, Jake's a big Arctic Monkeys guy. And I'm a big, I would say, Allison Chains. Or I don't really know if there's a band that I like a lot that they don't. I would say maybe like Frank Ocean, like a little bit of R&B and blues rock. I don't think those guys listen to that much. But it's just, you know, you got to listen to other people's genius to create your own and I think all of our influences and inspirations come together and you know it makes them evils and I can't really bitch or complain about it because it's 
it's such a badass thing. It's almost like a God-given gift that the three of us, you know, found each other and are able to like coexist and work together to create music without wanting to kill ourselves or each other and not just throwing our hands in the air and saying, fuck this, you know, because it's been, there's been so many times where it's like, all right, fuck the band. This shit is so it's like more stressful than it is fun. But at the end of the day, we're like, this is what we want to do. So we just got to deal with it. How hard was last year on you guys or the past year, you know, on, on you guys as a band? Um, it was rough. We're still, you know, cutting down the weeds, I would say. Um, last year, we were kind of like, you know, there wasn't any revenue coming in. There was no money. There was no touring. You know, our streaming kind of slowed down a little bit because we weren't on a record label. And we didn't have the money to, you know, push our songs or push what we already had out. So we were just kind of banking on the people that already listen to our music to just kind of keep it alive. And, you know, we did some social media stuff. Um, we sold, you know, we did like auctions and stuff like that and interviews to keep everything alive. But it was, it was definitely a rough year because there's no touring and we're a touring band, but you know, we, we wrote songs and we were in the studio and luckily we had that because I don't know if we would have survived. It's got to be, you know, tough to to deal with that. And also, was there any moment where maybe the band was was not going to be able to continue? Um, I think there's been a lot of those moments. But like I said, we just kind of, we hunker down and say, dude, this is what we want to do. This is what we're meant to do. This will pass. Tour will come back. We will write a better song. This shit show, you know, we'll flush it away and it's going to be good one day. Like, don't even worry about it. So it also yeah, has there's, to, there's, a, there's you know, a lot of those times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it also has to help too, not so much, you know, in help the, to know that you're also not the only band or the only musicians going through this, you know, everyone was going through what you guys are going. And obviously there's, you know, there's the big boys, there's the big acts that maybe don't really feel the effects of things as smaller and newer acts do, but everyone's still going through it. And, you know, some people were able to band together and some people were, were not. And, you know, there's the invention, or I shouldn't say the invention of it, but it's because it's always been there. And, you know, there's ways to connect with your fans on social media and live stream. And, you know, a lot of bands utilize that more than others. Um, you know, the sound quality is still kind of questionable depending on what platform you use or what, you know, someone uses to listen to it. So there's a lot of things that I think a lot of bands went through kind of like the same way. But I also believe one thing, though, and I, I think you can probably speak to this too as well. Rock and roll to connect with a young kid needs that young kid to feel angst and a little bit of anger, right? Because they I use agree. they use rock and roll to kind of absorb what they're feeling or, or, or soak in what they're going through or help them soak in what they're going through. And nothing creates more angst and, and a little bit of anger than when you have a teenager who's 15, 16 years old who's living the same day every day, not seeing his friends because everyone's home e-learning or they got to stay away from groups of people. 
And that causes something in an individual. And rock and roll always thrives on that. And I think if something good comes out of the last year, I think that's it. That's really where finally I think the youth is going to connect with rock music because I think they're tired of the pop music because pop music really doesn't offer anything to speak to them, right? To speak to what they're going through. And I think hip-hop, although there's some hip-hop acts that I like, I think it's it's becoming you know, the same thing from, from everybody. There's really no difference in what, what it is. And I think when a kid's sitting at home and he's, you know, trying to find something different and there's a song by them evils or there's a song by South of Eden or whoever it is, it's like, what's this? This is new to me. And then they start to dive into the lyrics and the tone of the music and it speaks to them. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think when when it comes to rap nowadays, you know, they're going to a place where rock and roll doesn't go anymore. Rock and roll is so safe. We don't talk about the things that we really do. Like, I like to do party and use recreational drugs and shit and fuck my fucking girlfriend. Like, why can't I say cocaine and it be on the radio and it be one of the biggest songs anymore? But, you know, we have a guy in the rap industry who talks about, you know, hitting his fucking girlfriend, driving drunk, and doing a whole bunch of Xanax and all of a sudden he's like the biggest fucking artist. Like, I don't get that. Why can't we do that in rock and roll anymore? I will say we go into writing sessions sometimes and I'll, I'll have like a drug line or like a drinking line or I'll mention cocaine and the, 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 the writer or the producer goes, Oh, we can't say that. This is rock. Like that's too sick. They won't get on the radio. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, fucking stupid that is the dumbest shit i've ever heard did you know there's so many bands that reference you know using drugs and drinking like rolling stones guns and roses and guess what guns and roses talked about doing heroin and fucking cocaine and that was one of the biggest rock albums of all time literally i think the biggest debut album ever sold on this planet and they were sing- singing about slamming heroin and doing coke like look at allison Jane. They were talking about slamming coke and doing drugs. I agree. I, I, I've often talked about this on the podcast. Is why why is everybody afraid to say what's on their mind and is and afraid to be controversial? And you know, I I don't think I don't think in rock and roll there's a big cancel culture in, in rock music. I just don't think that there is because rock bands don't really get tied up into that stuff and don't really give a shit. I mean, obviously there, there probably is a percentage that does, but rock and roll, like, like I said, has always been about the angst, the anger, and the middle finger. And for someone to say, yeah, you can't do that. This is rock. It should be the opposite. You should do it because it is rock, right? It, exactly. You know, you know and, and and what happened to the rock stars? What happened to the larger-than-life people that didn't care what anybody thought? They didn't care if they you know, had assless chaps on stage. They didn't care if they were singing about Hot for Teacher, you know, and, and you know, whatever in the video. It's, it's just mind-boggling how, I agree with you, hip-hop is more rock and roll in terms of the attitude than rock and roll is, and that's wrong. It shouldn't be that way. Isn't that bizarre? It's totally so bizarre. We started off being, you know, the bad boys and singing about not giving a shit. And all of a sudden we're writing songs 
and we care now. It's like, what, what happened? What, where did this go wrong? I don't know, man. I, I, I've tried to figure it out as well. And, you know, I've often thought too, like how, how would Motley Crue or Guns N' Roses maintain a career now, like in present day? And based on what I experienced with both bands growing up and listening to their music, I don't think either band would care. I don't. I don't think that they would. They, they wouldn't silence or censor themselves. I, I couldn't see Axl Rose censoring himself. I couldn't see Tommy Lee censoring himself. I couldn't see that happening at all ever. So why do why do why do rock bands and rock artists do that now? I just don't get it. You know, maybe that's why they don't make records anymore. Because what they want to say and what they want to sing about and what they know what rock and roll is really isn't rock and roll anymore. I, I, yeah, I, I'm still amazed that the Dirt, the movie, you know, the Motley Crue movie, even made it to release. Because I kept thinking to myself, "There's no way if it stays stays true to the book, there's just no way they can they can release that movie." And they and they did, and it got a great response, which I was happy about. But I was like dumbfounded, like, you know, I, I can't believe that there's not more pushback on this. And I think the lesson is on that is to keep doing it is to keep having that type of attitude and that rock and roll atmosphere. I mean, granted, you know, you don't have to be a heroin addict to be rock and roll, right? You don't have to, you know, that doesn't mean you're rock and roll, no. but you can still have the bad boy, you know, attitude to say whatever's on your mind to whatever it is you want to do because I think when you talk to young kids, like my 16-year-old son who's watched The Dirt and so is his friends, they loved it. They loved it. And, and and if you want to capture that audience, there needs to be more of it. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I mean, that's what rock and roll is. You know, everyone has been saying sex, drugs, and rock and roll for so many years. You know, I think you're allowed to. You don't have to be safe. You don't have to be sober to, you know, make it in this industry anymore. You know, you're allowed to enjoy a few drinks, get a little wild on stage and say what you want. It doesn't have to be safe all the fucking time. And it is, you know, people like Josh Homme kicking someone in the fucking face with a camera. That's rock and roll, you know, but he had to apologize. He still fucking did it. That was cool. He had a few too many tequila shots. Badass. That's what happens. This is that, that's the industry to do it in. You sometimes you get drunk, you say some shit you don't mean, but you know what? It was on your mind. So you said it. And it, it's not like that anymore. I always believe that old, you know, description of controversy. No, no bad controversy. No, no controversy is is bad controversy, right? No press is bad press. And exactly. if, if you're a rock and roll artist and you have people showing up at your show to protest, you're doing something right. And you know, there's a lot of you know handlers in the music business. There's a lot of PR people. If someone's telling you not to say something, you need to be with somebody different, in my opinion. You know, you need, to, I agree. you know, you need to be with somebody who encourages your voice instead of tries, you know, to, to pre-censor or pre-silence you. It, that's just the way I look at it. Yeah, I remember we were on tour with the Pretty Reckless and my manager told me to not say fuck on stage because there was, you know, a lot of young girls in the crowd. And I, I was like, what the fuck did you just tell me to do? 
you you told me not to say fuck. Like I'm gonna go say fuck now every sentence, every other word, just because you didn't. You told me not to. And I told Taylor Momsen, the lead singer of The Pretty Reckless, and she goes, "Dude, that is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. You're in a fucking rock and roll band. Say fuck as much as you want." And I go, "Exactly." Next time someone tells me not to say or do something, I'm gonna do it ten times fucking harder, just out of spite. I took my son to see Metallica. Gosh. Oh, man. It's, we're 2021, so I want to say four years ago, I took him to see Metallica at Soldier Field in Chicago. And he was 12 at the time. And we're sitting there, and the dude behind us is just, I think, smoking a joint through the whole show, right? I mean, just rolling the whole show. And, you know, the smoke is going on us and over us and everything. And, you know, my son's looking at me like, what should I do? And I just said, hey, man, you're here to see a rock show. You, you know, just don't pay attention to it. Just keep rocking. You know, that's what he wants to do. That's what his choice is, you know. Um, and we had a good time. And But, you know, it's like I, I didn't, like, tell the guy, oh, you know, I did kind of give him a look when he was kind of blowing it in my son's direction. I'm like, dude, you know, he's like 12. You know, can blow it somewhere else. Totally. I don't mind, there's, there's, I, I don't mind there's, there's, that you're doing it, but just blow it somewhere else. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like, if you take your kid to a rock show, you should expect to hear and see things, you know, that a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old maybe shouldn't see, but you're taking him there, so you have to expect it. Yeah, what do you expect? You're going to a rock and roll show. You know, this is where the shit happen you know this is where people let loose and smoke pot and say fuck and you know let all their anger out i remember seeing concerts when i was young 12 13 years old and i you know the amount of fake boobs that i was exposed to before i got into high school was like it was like a rite of passage it was like you know like the first time you know i saw you know a half naked woman in the flesh was like at a show at an ace freely concert and you know, I was with my friends. We were 12 years old, and we were just like, you know, when we went back to school the following day and we told our friends where we went and the experience that we had, we were like celebrities. Like, we had to keep repeating the story, like, over and over again and what we saw and what we experienced and everything. And, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, my life wasn't ruined at that point. You know, nothing happened to me that was bad. I mean, it was it was rock and roll, and... and you know, I, I've often thought about why there's a reluctance to be a rock star, why there's a reluctance to, and I think that's a huge problem with, with connecting with the youth. I mean, we talk about mainstream and being, you know, you know, front and center and being on commercials or using music for being commercials. The bottom line is, is when young kids will start to connect with it is when they feel that bad boy, that rebel image, and they connect with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's that's how I connected with it. You know, I didn't necessarily know this when I was a kid, but Billy Joe Armstrong with Green Day, you know, he was singing us, or he was singing about staying up all night, doing meth and coke, and not being able to sleep and paranoia. You know, like geek, geek stink breath, um, brain stew, having trouble trying to sleep. You know, he was he was fucking railing lines of meth, and that's how he wrote all his songs. Like, you listen to all his albums, Dookie, Insomniac, it's just, it's literally about staying up and doing drugs. Well, 
Unfortunately, we can't solve all of rock problems, you know, in, in an hour. But it's a, it's been a great conversation, Jordan. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me. It's always fun talking about music. I get I'm so passionate about it, so I get worked up and pissed off sometimes. I just want to like, now I'm going to go write a riff and fucking try to be the next rock band, biggest rock band. So thanks for the conversation, man. I appreciate it. There you go, man. Thank you for doing it, man. And good luck with the <laughs> with the with the new music coming out this year. Thank you so much, dude. All right, everybody. That's Jordan Griffin from Them Evils. Go check them out. Check out their new song, Pour Another One Out. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay strong, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.